So as we're getting started today, I'd like to uh, challenge you, if you're sitting with someone, have one of you pull out a phone, okay? One of you go ahead and pull out a phone, make, it, make your choice who it's going to be, it's not, it's not going to be a big deal, okay? But it has to be a smartphone, so Paul, I think you still use a flip phone, so you might, you, you're going to need someone who has a smartphone. And then I want you to open up your maps program, okay? Open up your maps program. Uh, I, I used to love Google Maps. Uh, and I, I, was, I was an early adapter. I was an early adapter to Google Maps. There we go, now we have some sound. Uh, and uh, so I'm driving down to Chicago, a place that I know how to get to. We were going to uh, the, the auto show at McCormick Place in Chicago. I know how to get there. I've been there a million times. But I decided I'm going to go put in Google Maps. And uh, so around Rockford, I think it was at the Rock Cut State Park uh, turnoff, Google Maps tells me to, to turn off there. So I go ahead and I turn off there, and I follow the directions, and suddenly I'm in an industrial park in a parking lot, and I'm like, why am I here? I mean, I hated Google Maps, but now I love Google Maps, and I feel sorry for any of you, any of you who have an Apple product and you just use Maps. Um, just, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. But does everybody have the phone out now? And do we have a map program? Okay, so the person who has the phone, what I'd like you to do is input a, a destination that is like one of your favorite places in the world. Okay, just, just go ahead and do it. If you're sitting by yourself, um, just, just do it anyway, all right? Those of you at home, I want to encourage you to, to do this as well. So take out a phone, take out your device, open up uh, maps, preferably Google Maps, and uh, go ahead and in, input uh, your favorite place in the world, and then hit uh, directions. And it will tell you how many miles you are right now from your favorite destination. Now do not, do not peek, if, you're, if you don't have the phone in your hand, do not peek. Uh, because what we're going to do now is we're going to share how many miles you currently are from one of your favorite places in the world and the other person has to guess. Alright? You got it? So go ahead and, and come on, come on, let's do it. Paul, Paul, you're looking. You're looking. You are not, do not cheat. Did you see that? I mean, this is, this is a proctored exam, okay? All right, so did you have it? Sarah Sandler, do you have one of your favorite places in the world put in there? How many miles are you from it right now? Oh, what are you doing? Are you, are you on Facebook checking what your stuff? Scott, how about you? I see you have a phone. Do you have one of your favorite places in the world plugged in there? All right, how many miles are you from it right now? 4,424. 4,424, okay, go ahead and guess where, where that place is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back and we're, I wanna hear about that one publicly. Um, you guys, you guys got one? Dan, do you have a phone in your, in your hand? Zero. You're zero? Oh, come on now. Oh. I, you know, actually, I think it's like 25 feet because you usually sit over there. I don't think I've ever seen you right there. I don't, I don't know. But. Uh, anybody in the back? Ian, I see you got a phone out. Do you, have, do you have your location? How many miles are you from it? 255. Hmm, it might be one of my favorite places, too. Would it be up toward the UP border? Uh, we're a little west of there. Oh, west of there, okay. Daisha, did, did, you, did you guess it? Those of you at home, have you, have you done this yet? Have you, okay. Uh, you might ask, so what, 
what does this have to do with, uh, with God's word and why, why are we doing this at church right now? Here's the deal. You know, we have Google Maps to live a better life. Sometimes I question that. I think I shared uh, with you once before, but I'll do it again. Uh, we, we took a trip out west, and I was getting sick and tired of hearing from the back uh, all about you know, what Google Maps had to say. And I, I was asking questions like, is, is there anything like within 125 miles? I mean, when you've driven 4,000 miles already, right, right Scott, you, you may as well just take a, a 200 mile detour because it's nothing. And, and, and the, the, the response was, well, I don't know. I can't figure that out. Google Maps doesn't let me see 200 miles away. And so with that, I, I cranked the wheel into a gas station in Montana. I went inside. Everyone's like, why is dad so mad? You know, and I walked in. I plunked down $18 for what I could have gotten for free, like this one from my State Farm agent. Um, this message is brought to you by State Farm, where on Water Street in Prairie du Sac, you can visit Jim Marsden for all of your insurance needs. Um, but, but, and then I, I got back in the car, I slammed the door, I handed this back, and I said, here, read this. And my daughter, who is 30 and has been all over the world, I mean, her, she has two passports, they're about that thick. She opened this thing up, she said, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? Hey, what's about 200 miles away from here that we might want to, and she, oh, it looks like it. But anyway. If you want to know how to get someplace, there's nothing like Google Maps. Why? Because the atlas can show you where you might want to go, but if you do not know this one thing, you cannot get there. And what is that one thing? If you ever read Alice in Wonderland, you know the answer to this. If you do not know your current location, it doesn't matter where you want to go because you can never find your way there. And that's a little bit what we're talking about today. Life's a journey, and if you want to know the best route through life, we do have access to it. I, uh, on Facebook, I did a little bit of clickbait today, confessions to those of you who are, uh, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to take this off? Okay, I got, I got the cameraman in the back saying that the glare off of that is annoying. Uh, what, what, what did I just say? You interrupted me, Alex, and now I don't even know what I was saying. Ah, oh, sheesh, here we go. Great, ah, thank you, whoever said that. Julie, thanks. Uh, so, my, my, my title on Facebook today is People Who Live the Best Lives Know This One Thing. Dot, dot, dot. So if you want to live the best life, listen in. And you might want to turn uh, this morning to uh, Luke chapter 9. So if you want to get someplace, you need to know where you're at, and you need to know the way there. And it's very interesting that the name of the very first church recorded in the Bible is called the way. The way. Acts chapter 19 says it multiple times. Uh, Acts 19 verse 23 says, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way, and way is with a capital W, you know, and it doesn't stand for Wisconsin. Um, 
the way. And as you poke around in that chapter, you see it time and again. You see, this is what these Christ followers called themselves, the way. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because if they're Christ followers, what did Jesus call himself? He says in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The whole context of that, he's, he's uh, sharing with them that they do not have to be afraid. They do not have to be uh, worried. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. And then Thomas, we know as Doubting Thomas, uh, responded, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So from the very beginning, Jesus said to people, come and follow me. And they responded to him as the way. It doesn't stop there. Peter, one of his closest followers, very last interaction between Jesus and Peter is recorded in the final chapter of John. And twice in that chapter, you would think that Jesus would already be convinced that Peter was a follower. But twice, he says in that chapter to Peter, just follow me. Just follow me. So Peter's journey with Jesus begins with Jesus' invitation to follow him. It ends with Jesus' invitation to follow him. And in the middle... And that's what we're going to look at today. In the middle, there's another invitation that Jesus makes to follow him. And this one's very, very interesting. Luke chapter 9. It's also in Matthew 16. It's also in Mark chapter 8. Must be important, huh? Three Gospels. Actually, it's not three Gospels. How many Gospels do we have? If you've been involved in this series, we know that there is one gospel. There is one good news from four different perspectives. You got it. And so here it is in Luke chapter 9. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is starting at verse 23. It's up on screen now. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and, let, or, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. But let's just focus on that one verse. Whoever wants to be my disciples, can you read it with me? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So it wasn't enough just to say, follow me. But do what? Now, it leads to a, a question. What's the question? It's obvious, right? 
We're, we're, we're practicing how to be students of God's word. So you, you have a phrase like this, take up your cross and follow me. What's the, what's the question that follows from that? What does it mean, right? Does it mean literally like I've just done to pick this thing up and, and carry it around? What, what does it mean? So what is taking up your cross? First thing, what it's not. This idea has absolutely sp is spoiled by people who say, oh, I have my cross to bear. I tweaked my, my left ankle this, uh, this summer, and I've been bearing this cross ever since then. I, I, literally, I have to go and I do therapy every single day on the thing. But, you know, a bunion or a, a sprained ankle is not a cross. A hemorrhoid is not a cross. Okay? Even though that's what people say. This is the cross I must bear. You know? Those are things that happen to you. Notice what Jesus says. He says what? Take up your cross. It's an intentional action. I don't cause myself to have a bunion. I don't cause myself to have a hemorrhoid. I don't cause myself to have an obstinate in-law. Those things happen to me. They might be crosses to bear in society sense, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. So what is it? First thing, it's something that you do. Jesus is saying to make the decision to take up your cross. It's not something that happens to you. It's something that you decide. Now, in, in Roman times, when this was written, the cross or crucifixion was a common form of, uh, of punishment. <laughs> More than punishment, it was execution. And condemned criminals didn't just go out to the cross. After they were convicted, the cross was thrust upon them. And you've probably seen pictures that denote what Jesus looked like. Some debate whether it was a full cross like this Sometimes they used smaller crosses, which a person could carry. Sometimes they used a very large cross piece that would be about eight feet wide and a six by six. Carpenter, how much would an eight foot long six by six weigh? Let's say it was Doug Fur. <laughs> no, Doug, Doug Fur as opposed to White Pine. How much? Yeah, yeah, a little under 100 pounds, okay? This is, this is a baby cross right now. You can see, I can lift it. Um, so imagine a rough hewn six by six or eight by eight timber, eight feet long, and you have to carry that. Now every step while you're carrying that to your point of execution is a reminder of who you are and what you've done. You don't just kind of live your life and then and then the day comes where someone says, hey, what's your favorite meal? And I'll, I'll make it for you be, be, before, we, before we kill you. I mean, that's, that's just bizarre to me. It would have been bizarre to them too. But every step was a reminder of who you are and what you've done. Every step was also a reminder to everybody who was watching about who that person was and what they've done, where they're at in their life. So here's the thing, taking up 
your cross daily means to remind yourself through whatever means necessary of where you're at. Like Google Maps. Jesus says, come and follow me. But in order to follow me, the cross reminds you of where you are. It reminds you of those things that God might want you to work on in your life. You hear people who are Christ followers say, you know, I'm, I, I just need to nail that to, to the cross. I, I, I just need to get rid of that in my life. I need to put that on my cross. When we do that, when we do that, and we, we, we take, maybe it's, it's a trait, I'm gonna share that just in a second. It, it helps us to have a new perspective about ourselves. We all have a tendency, most of us have a tendency to, to think probably a little bit more highly of ourselves than we ought. I know I do. Some of us, however, also have a tendency to think a little less of ourselves than we ought. We have low self-esteem. But when we're when we're following Jesus and we're carrying the very cross as a reminder of who he is and what he's done for us. This is from my Catholic brothers and sisters. This is a reminder that Jesus died for me. It's a reminder of his love for me. See, the cross reminds us of so many things. Taking up your cross daily isn't just the difficult side of nailing our garbage to the cross, nailing my pride to the cross, or whatever it might be. It's also a reminder that Jesus was nailed to this cross, and he loves me so much, and he does not love the unlovable. Not that there is anything that's unlovable, but if he's done this for me. I went to uh, a major Protestant uh, small college called Wheaton College down in Illinois, and it was good, we had, we had crosses, we had, we had these. And then I did graduate school at the University of Notre Dame. And in every single classroom, they had Wheaton College beat. Every single classroom had a cross in it. But not just a cross, but a crucifix. And it was always behind the lecturer, next to the next to the whiteboard, and in our, in our, I, I'm, I'm from ancient times. We used to have these black boards, and there was a white little thing that you would write on. It was called chalk, chalk you know? <laughs> um, I realize that people don't even know what that is anymore. But this was always a reminder to me that even if I didn't get it, what was being lectured on that day, I was still worthy, and I was loved by Jesus. Take up your cross daily. It's a reminder of the good. It's a reminder of those things that we need to improve about ourselves. But it's a journey. Jesus said, come and follow me. Taking up your cross daily. It's not a once and done thing. It's a daily 
thing. Let me tell you how this has worked out in my own life. Uh, if, if you know me, if we've sat down and had many conversations, you know that uh, at, for a significant portion of my life I really dealt with, I still do, I still do. I deal with personal pride. Uh, I've always wanted to assert my opinion. Someone would say something and I'd know better. And so I just, no, it's this way. And God started working on my heart about that. And this became my cross. My pride became the cross that I was bearing. And I prayed about that. And here's what I had to do. I started, now I realize some parents don't like it when the pastor says these words in church, I'm sorry, but I started to just shut up. Because you know what? I'm gonna learn a lot more if I listen to your opinion than if I simply state mine. And as a result, you know, you know what happens when you do that? People want to talk to you more. If, I, I found that, that, that people would talk and people, people call me now a good listener. I'm like, wow, that's not something that I did intentionally. But what I did do intentionally was nail my need to state what I thought about everything to the cross. Now, now sometimes people say, you're not assertive enough. <laughs> So, you know, I, I got to figure that out sometimes, but I, I, I really like it when people think that I'm listening to them. How about this one? It's kind of in the same, it's in the same vein. Um, when, when, when people would, would tell a story, when, when people would tell a story, I'd have to top it. The, the other day I, I showed Julie and, and Charlie, uh, maybe it was just Julie, a picture of of myself um, skiing. And it was everything I could do to not show that picture to someone else who uh, was telling me about what a great time they, they had skiing and how they had really progressed. And this, this picture was just awesome. My, my, my daughter snapped it just at the right time. And I was laying out on the ski. I decided I'm going to press this ski to the limits. I had never skied on it before. I was afraid that I'm just an old fat guy now and that I was going to kill myself if I skied like I used to when I was 28. But I just said, whatever. Let's go, go for it. And muscle memory is a great thing. It's also a dangerous thing. Those of you who ride uh, motorcycles, you know that uh, you cannot lean into something quite as well as you used to when you were 24. Right? You got to be careful. I just leaned into this thing, and my daughter snapped the picture, and my arm was dragging in the water. I was laid out flat. I mean, it, it looked like <laughs> I was like this. And that was just awesome. And this person was telling me this story, and I, 
And now you might be saying, <clears throat> oh, here's your pride coming out, man. You're telling me about this really cool cut you had. I said my daughter snapped it at just exactly the right time because one hundredth of a second later, the ski broke loose and I was just tumbling across the surface of the water and I've been paying for it ever since. But you, you, you see where I'm going with this? The can you top their story game? I realized when I would do that, I was just being a jerk. And to those of you who have ever been offended by my trying to top your story, I am sorry. I've nailed that one to the cross, and I enjoy listening to people's stories. And if I don't come back with another story, it's not because I don't want to engage in dialogue, it's just because I don't want to play that game. I'd rather hear your story. Julie, I'd rather hear about all the cool cuts that you've made. And I want to hear about the slalom camp. Are you going to go this year? Yes. You know? All right. Paul would come to say it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, because when I nail this stuff to, to the cross, what happens is that, that, that Jesus' characteristics start to come out. And when, when I pray and I commit myself to, to being more like him and taking my, my junk and nailing it to the cross, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, I'm going to come back at the very end of the service in a few minutes, and I want to share three uh, things that we can do. If you have the handout today, you'll see at the, on the front of that, it's uh, three, three habits that I can work on uh, this, this year. And uh, if you're at home, I want you to hang on because these are really for those of us who are doing online church in particular. Uh, so, so please uh, stick with us uh, and, until the end. But I want to share this before, before the worship team comes on up. And you, you guys can start coming up now. Uh, Miles Stanford writes this, and it's, it's basically to leaders. How, how many of you in this room are leaders? How many of you are leaders? Okay, there are a bunch of people who don't understand that you're leaders. Sarah, your hand should have been up. How many daughters do you have? How much work is it to keep this guy in line? Oh, I don't. Yeah. Okay, you are a leader. Everybody in this room is a leader to one degree or another, okay? Miles Stanford writes this, it's more than comforting to realize that it's those who have plumbed the depths of their own failures, that is, who have been honest with God and invited the Holy Spirit, God, what should I be working on today? Take up your cross daily. What do I need to be working today? It's more comforting to realize that those who have plumbed the depths of their own failure to whom God invariably gives a call to shepherd and to lead other people. I had a, a mentor of mine in ministry say, never hire someone that has not been through a trauma in their life. Never hire someone who has never failed. 
I said, well, why is that? He said, because they're arrogant jerks. Interesting. And so I ask myself, you know, in what ways have you failed? In what ways have you met with trauma? What, in what ways ha have you dealt with stuff? Because it has a way to shape you, doesn't it? This is a call given not to the gifted, not to the highly trained, and not to the polished as such. We, we, we always think that the people who are natural leaders or, or shepherds of other people or mentors should be gifted or trained or polished. It says this, Miles Stanford writes, it takes a person who has discovered something of the measure of their own weaknesses to be patient with the weaknesses and the foibles of other people. And that's what makes a leader. One of the things we nail to the cross are our fears. And Chris has selected some songs uh, for us right now to remind us that our fears can be nailed to the cross. Mm -hmm. 